Right, this session is entitled Help and Support, and I hope this will be a bit more fun if we can think of having fun in a session on mental health issues. Um, but we'll, 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 this will be a bit easier, really, for you to take in, I think. <clears throat> so, let's go. It often helps me to see things in terms of a story or a metaphor. It's the way my mind works. So I'm going to be using the metaphor of gardening here when we're talking about supporting and stewarding our own mental health. So I'm going to suggest that we become a landscape gardener in terms of our own inner emotional mental health world. So we're going to imagine that our inner landscape, our emotions, our thinking are like a garden. How do we take care of it? How do we maintain it? And how do we manage it? Well, we become the landscape gardener. We can't always do everything to help ourselves when our mental health is suffering. We all need extra help at times, and that can be family or friends. It can be the church. It can be prayer. It can be doctors, therapists, and healthcare professionals. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But we're talking today specifically about preventative measures to help our mental health. Some things that we can do, sometimes very, very practically in the first place, just to keep our mental health in that sweet spot. So let's unpack this a little bit. How do you start landscaping a garden? We have been unfortunate, my husband and myself, in that both houses that we've owned, bought and moved into had catastrophes of gardens or non-existent gardens. Old sheds, old toilets, rubble in the garden, weeds up to here. So we are very experienced in creating gardens from scratch because we've had to do it. So you never inherit, well at least we've never inherited, an unspoiled, pristine, blank slate of land to work with. You've got, this is what we inherited, a particular type of soil. All soils are not equal, are they? You've got acid soils, you've got alkaline soils. Something that thrives in one soil will die in another soil or not thrive unless you nurture it, put the manure on. Put the, um, what is it, that kind of compost. Ericaceous compost, yes. So you get a particular type of soil. You get stuff you don't want. You get weeds, you get rocks, you get someone else's rubbish. That old toilet we had in one of our gardens. And you have nothing yet of what you do want to plant and build. So we are going to be looking at becoming a landscape gardener. The first thing, know your soil, know yourself. And then we're talking about the things that we want to plant and build into our lives to support our mental health. And we'll be looking at balance in our lives and needs, legitimate needs. We'll be talking about boundaries. We'll be talking about values and calling. And then later on, we'll be talking about the weeds, the things that we actively need to root out. And as I go on, I'll explain what ants and scripts and dementors are. So let's go on to the soil. Know yourself. You are the soil. As I've said, we inherit the soil in our garden. We inherit who we are, our preferences, 
the things we like, our limitations, our strengths, our weaknesses. You are you. You are perfectly and uniquely made by God for his purposes. We think about Psalm 139, where David says, I am fearfully and wondrously made. You are made exactly you for the purpose that God created you. You are not the person to the left or the right of you. Neither are you the person you think it might be better to be. God made no mistake when he made you the way you are to fit a place and a purpose in his plan that only you can. And let me say, this includes all your weaknesses, your wounds and your limitations. Have you ever thought that your weaknesses might be there for God's purpose and glory to keep you in the place where you might bring him most glory and the place where you too might be most blessed? David went through some really rough times and yet he could say, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. It isn't fashionable in society or in the church which is sadly sometimes shaped by cultural ideologies rather than the Bible, to think of our weaknesses and limitations positively or to thank God for them. The prevailing mantra is, I can be or do anything, I can step up to the next level. But when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he meant I can endure all the changes and vicissitudes of this life because Christ has me in the palm of his hand. It did not mean I can be super Christian. So if we embrace the theology that says, I have to get rid of this weakness, I can be or do anything, I can step up to the next level, guess what? The emphasis is all on me and what I can do. It's not the gospel. And it encourages striving envy and discouragement. Remember, God is sovereign. If we are in him, then he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So we thank him for all that we are, strong and weak, and we bring all that we are to him as the ultimate gardener. This doesn't mean that God won't in his sovereign will deal with our sins and weaknesses, but Paul's thorn shows us that God uses even our weaknesses for his glory. There has to be a balance there. Uh, one, of, one of my favourite books, which I'll show you later, um, Adam S. McHugh, The Listening Life. This is one that's well worth, well worth getting. I'll leave them out for you to have a look later. <coughs> one of the things he says in this is accept and listen to your life before you can accept and listen to others. Do you know what kind of soil you are? Do you know yourself? With most of us, it takes a lifetime to know ourselves and to feel comfortable in our own skin and who we are and not to be striving to be somebody else. Do you know your strengths? Do you know your preferences? Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know what fires you up and what just drains all the energy out of you? I know what does me, endless meetings, being on someone else's agenda, having no freedom. Are you living in the light of who you are or are you trying to be someone like God didn't create you to be? Believe me, that causes emotional stress. 
So it's really important that we know who we are. <clears throat> now, I've put two things here um, on, uh, on the screen that are helpful. Uh, I've done both of them, Strength Finder. I know that Rob and Carol here have done Strength Finder because we did Strength Finder in their church at Purton. It's very good. It's, it's, um, is it done by um, Gallup. Gallup, Gallup Polls? It's a Gallup Polls, well accredited looking at, so what are my strengths? Um, I have to admit when I did it, I was quite disappointed by my top strength. I thought it was very boring. You know, some of them are like motivator, developer, right? I can't remember the others, but it sounded good. My top strength was input. But actually, it is me, and my husband will tell you, I'm like a little squirrel. I love to gather facts, <laughs> gather information. Um, I'm not a hoarder, I don't necessarily gather things, but I love to gather bits of information. Um, I'm a very curious person. I was a big reader when I was little, and not necessarily fiction. I'd be diving into the encyclopedia all the time, so I guess I have to accept that. But Strength Finder is good. Um, I don't know if you need to sort of buy into it or that sort of thing, but you know, it's worth exploring. The other one is the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, which is used a lot a lot in churches. The correct way that it should be used is in discovering our preferences, discovering the things, you know, what sort of person am I? And it looks, um, it looks at things like extroversion, introversion, whether we're thinkers or feelers, whether we're planners or we just like to fly by the seat of our pants. Um, so it's, it's useful to do. It's not restrictive. It is like if you do it and you think, well, that's not really me, then just have a look at the others and decide who you are. <laughs> but it is very useful. And you can do a free one online. Uh, it's under 16personalities.com. A lot of churches use this. Um, I have to say, we did, uh, my husband and I did this years ago, a um, long time ago, probably in the late 80s, I think, with, with a church. And uh, the most revealing thing to us, really, was that it is okay to be an introvert. Mm -hmm. That was just enlightening, particularly, I have to say, with my husband. Um, we are both introverts, but I think I'm fair enough to say you're further down the spectrum than I am. But there was the prevailing mantra at the time. <laughs> it's fine. Prevailing mantra at the time, you know, how can you be an evangelical Christian if you're an introvert? Introvert had this negative slant, you know, that you're always inward looking, gazing at your own navel. Um, whereas what it really means is that you are more fired up by ideas, um, concepts, um, than, than going to a party, maybe. There's no judgment. Whoever you are, is how God made you. But if you find those things useful to sort of unpack who you are, please, please do have a look at them. Okay, now I'm going to reverse the order a bit here. Normally, with a garden, we're going back to the picture of gardening, you root out the weeds before you start to build. But I'm going to focus first on what we need to build into our lives before we look at what needs rooting out. Just because that seems to work better. Okay, right, build and plant in, identifying needs. Who recognises this triangle? A lot of people, yeah, yeah, okay. It's, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is often um, used in terms of motivation, but I'm going to look at it in terms of need. 
It identifies the legitimate needs we have as humans that dictate our behaviour. And it's done in ascending order. So the lowest tranche is the most basic and foundational. And it includes the things we need in order to just live. So food, water, shelter, sleep, clothing, that sort of thing. Okay? Going upwards are our safety needs. We need employment, somewhere to live, health. Then love and belonging, friends, family, a sense of connection with others. Followed by esteem, respect, self-esteem, recognition. Those are not bad things. We need them. They only become problematic when they become the driving force of our lives, but we, we all need them. Then self-actualization. All that really means is the ability and the space and time to self-develop and be creative, become one's best self. All these needs are legitimate, but if we don't attend to the foundational ones, this is the understanding, the very basic ones, have we got water, shelter, sleep, clothing, food, then forget about the higher ones, they're out of our reach, we need those basic ones first, that's why it's a pyramid, that's why it builds. <coughs> So we are complex, multifaceted beings with many needs. And what I want to say is behind every negative emotion is an unmet need. Have you ever thought about that? Behind every negative emotion is an unmet need. All of us here will have the bottom level of need covered. But are there other needs there that aren't necessarily being met? that can affect our mental health. Maybe the need for belonging, for genuine friendship, maybe for secure employment, somewhere safe to live, a longing for time to be more creative. So it's worth looking at this just in terms of seeing, is there an unmet need in our lives that might contribute to our mental health and that we might recognise and work on filling or seeking help about. Okay. All this, all, the, all these, if you like, the PowerPoints will go out to you if we have your email addresses afterwards. So don't worry if you're not writing things down and you're concerned about remembering. <clears throat> okay, I want to go on to look at balance. Now, I'm going to get you to do something with this. Don't worry, it's not difficult. Has everybody got pen and paper? If anybody hadn't, there's paper and pens there. Okay. So, a bit hard to get that. So what I'd like you to do, when you've got your, your pens and paper, I want you to draw the big circle, I'm going to do a pie chart, takes me back to maths, which I was never good at. <laughs> draw your big circle. I'll let you work on this one. 
And what I want you to do is think about your last week. And I want you to do a pie chart of your week, filling in what you think were the time allocations you gave to different activities. Now, these are the activities I was thinking that would probably be in my week, but yours might be different. So that's fine. You don't need to use these categories. You can work out your own. Uh, so I put like sleep, social, which includes family and friends, uh, study, rest, hobbies, church, life maintenance. That might include things like eating, preparing meals, housework, bills, shopping. Divide it how you want, but be honest about not where you would have liked your week allocation to be or what you intended your week allocation to be, but what actually happened in your last week. And I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. Some of us won't even remember what we did yesterday, never mind last week. <laughs> if last week was a particularly difficult week and you were in bed all week with COVID, then maybe change to another week, but uh, generally try and stick to what you did last week. And if you can just look up when you've done it so I know that you're done. <coughs> Hilarity over this. <laughs> Just making sure you get your story, your story true. <laughs> Some of you saying, no, you didn't spend all that time doing that. <laughs> okay, okay. Most, mostly finished? You just look up when you're done, so I know.
Interesting watching the couples here checking. No, you didn't do that. Did you really spend all that time? Are you sure? <laughs> okay, we're mostly there. Has anybody not finished yet? Okay. I want you to look at the pie chart you've just done. And I want you to think, <clears throat> how does this tally, how does this tally with my needs, my values, what I see as my calling, my personality? Do the things that are really important to me factor in largely or have they got squeezed out? What things taking up a lot of space that aren't important to me but just seem urgent? Have a look, are things in balance? Because if things aren't in balance, this will cause dis-ease, which is what's behind disease. Inner stress, unhappiness, frustration. Sometimes things are not quite how we want them to be simply because of life. I know when we have young babies, that takes up 99.9% .9 of our time and other things have to be adjusted. But if things are always not quite how we want them to be, then we need to look and we need to plant intentionally, deliberately, plant in those things that are important to us in terms of <coughs> The things, the things that we give most value to, whether it's family, friends, whether it's our church activities, whether it's creative projects, whether it's what we feel is our calling, how does that, how does that factor in? So I'm not going to ask you to share anything, but I'm just going to say, put your hand up if you thought that your pie chart tallied exactly with what's important to you, your needs your values, your calling. Thank you. Thank you. Not many. Things have varnished being retired. It absolutely is, Derek. I totally agree. It is an advantage being retired because we've got this blank, generally a blank slate of time. And I, I agree with that. So, as I've said, there are things that we need to take into consideration, like what life stage are we at, you know. When I was working and uh, visiting and looking after my mother in a care home and looking after her house, family got squeezed completely. Most things got squeezed completely because that's a time of life. And you, you know that it's a time of life. You know you have to give everything to that other person's need at that time, a young child, an ailing parent. But if things are always like that, it can cause us stress, leading to mental health vulnerability. So it's worth just keep, keep that, keep your pie chart, keep thinking about the things that are really important to you, the things you feel you've been called to, your values, your needs, and just keep thinking about where that fits in. <coughs> okay, I'm going to move on now to look at boundaries, building boundaries in our life. This is a big one 
This really is a big one, and it's not one that we particularly talk about or think about. But I know some years ago we had a talk on boundaries, where we, yeah, which was really, really helpful. It's something that I'd not really thought about particularly. So I'm just going to read this. This is a, a book by um, Henry Cloud and somebody Townsend, I'm not sure what his first name was, called Boundaries, and this is really helpful. <clears throat> so boundaries help us to distinguish our property, and that doesn't necessarily mean physical property or house, though obviously it ties in, but it's, it's your emotional and physical boundaries as well. So boundaries help us to distinguish our property so that we can take care of it. They help us to guard our hearts with all diligence. We need to keep things that will nurture us inside our fences and keep things that will harm us outside. Now that sounds like common sense. However, having fuzzy boundaries is quite common, particularly as you're growing up. But actually it can be quite common in the church as well. I know when I was a young Christian, one of the mantras that we heard very often was, be available, which seemed to me, be available to anyone, everyone, 24-7, because this is your duty as a Christian. And bearing in mind that for maybe 10 years we were in church leadership, it really meant that our door had to be open constantly. And with a growing family, I know those of you in church leadership will acknowledge this and recognise it when you have a young family you plans, your schemes everything is being upset all the time there are no days off by people with needs now these people with needs are legitimate and we are called to be there for them and to serve them but if we don't have protective boundaries for ourselves never mind our family very soon we will become absolutely worn out and useless to anybody so boundaries are legitimate. And I just want to remind you that Jesus, amazingly, wasn't always there for everyone. That Jesus withdrew to a quiet place with his disciples, away from the crowds. And don't tell me there weren't people still clamouring for his touch, for his healing, for him at that point. But if Jesus had been there and healed every person... He would have had no time for anything else. And we won't either. So we, that's why we really need to know what, are, what is our calling? What are we put here to do? What are we put on this earth to do? And you will know that not simply from spending time with God, but from thinking about what sort of person you are. What are my values? And listening to God, listening to the Holy Spirit. It's, it's been said that you can never truly say yes until you learn how to say no. Because you can't say yes to everything. And every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. So we need to know what our priorities are. We need to have that respect for ourselves, for the person that God made us, to be able to say I, I, you know, I can be here for you, but not today, not right now. 
this is my boundary, okay? We are not responsible for everyone, okay? I know in counselling, I don't know if those of you are counsellors as well, this, this sounds very harsh, but we were taught very early on, don't give more of yourself to that person than that they're willing to, to put into the counselling, yeah? So sometimes we have to have that knowledge of, can I help this person? Or is it someone else who can help them? Can I, can I go out of my way to a certain extent, but actually there has to be, some, has to be something on the other side as well. So I just, want to, I just want to bring that up so we have a little think about our boundaries. Because if we've got fuzzy boundaries, we will allow all sorts of things into our lives that can actually be quite toxic because we feel that we have to. We feel we can't say no. You can say no. Jesus said no sometimes. Okay, so that, that, can, be a, that can be a difficult one, okay? I want to have... My little things here. I want to have a volunteer now, please. I'll volunteer to do something for me here to demonstrate what we call the tyranny of the urgent or what happens to the things that are important in our lives if we don't have boundaries. So who's going to be brave? Oh, good. <laughs> um, right. Am I? I'm not okay to move away from this. I'm not here. Is that okay? Yeah. Yes. Now, what I'd like you to do, Paul, you can do it from here. Um, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to open this. It's, do you know what this is? It's not granola. It's actually um, conkers. Because I don't use washing, I don't use washing powder. I grind conkers and I use conker juice as washing powder, which is very environmentally friendly because I never buy washing powder. It does work. It's just a lot of a lot of hard work. <laughs> so um, I want you, Paulie, to put all of those into the first. Actually, do you want to come round here? Then people can see you, can't they? I don't mind if it's messy. Anyone who's interested, I'll explain about the conkers later. We have a very, very large conker tree in our garden. And I was getting about a thousand conkers a year in my garden. Obviously, I don't want all those saplings and can't use it any other way. So I discovered that you can actually dry and grind conkers. And then the conker juice that you filtrate out of it, you can use as um, you can use in your washing machine. <laughs> We've got natural uh, saponins. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Don't don't worry about the bits. Yeah. As long as it all goes in. Brilliant. That's great. That's lovely. A little shake. Uh, okay. So this is the demands on our time. Everybody's demands on our time. The small stuff. Okay, it's not the important stuff, but it's the urgent stuff. It's like, can I have a minute? Can you have just got, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you drive me here? Or it can be anything that's urgent in our life, but isn't the thing that's important. Do you, you know the difference? Yeah? Sometimes things are important, but not urgent. Spending time with your family is important. It may not be urgent. Some things are urgent, but not necessarily important. Some are both, like your tax return or getting your car taxed. So this is this is the okay the um, urgent stuff. 
This is the important stuff. You've got all the urgent stuff, you're responding to all the small stuff, the urgent stuff. Can you put the important stuff in now? Because you haven't prioritised it. Can you put it in? I'll get one or two in. Gotta get them all in. <laughs> Gotta get them all in. Don't break them. <laughs> They're important things. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't do it. No. Are you sure that you can't do it? I'm positive. Right, great. Okay, let's take them out. She can't do it. Notice. What was the thing that got left? The important stuff. Yeah. Okay. So now. You're going to put the important stuff in first. Okay, now using this, can you put the, the other stuff in? Yeah, I'll give it a around. You can always give it a shake as you go. Yeah. It'll take some time, folks. If you put the little ones, they don't get done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I love, I love that because it really shows, you know, what happens when we don't prioritise the bigger things. We always think if we prioritise the important things, the urgent ones won't get done. But actually, they will. It's just prioritising them. <coughs> Excuse me. Voice going. Okay, we are. We're going to move on to the weeds, rooting out the weeds. Okay. So the weeds, I've got plenty weeds in my garden. I've got plenty plants as well, but I quite like to have quite a natural, organic looking garden. So I don't mind some weeds because it pollinates the bees. But in our lives, we don't want, we don't want weeds. We don't want weeds in our mental and emotional life. So weeds are things in our lives that can grow up and choke our good plantings if they're not recognised and dealt with. 
And the weeds we're going to look at primarily are the weeds in our thought life. So we know that bad habits, sins, toxic relationships, what are called the mentors, uh, can be weeds in our life and need rooting out. But it's often the mental distress. It's like the bad and damaging thinking that's harder to deal with. So we'll spend a bit of time looking at this. Um, I've got a couple, actually, how many are we? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yeah, couples. Come and see that, Graham, thanks. Couples, if you can share, but I've got a couple of handouts here uh, on unhelpful thinking styles and what we call ants, which I will explain. Um, so if uh, there won't be enough, there's ten of each. So if couples could share. Yep, that's great. So I'll just wait till you've got those. Don't need to read them, it's just for reference afterwards, just to remind you what we're talking about. <laughs> they're, they're slightly different, yeah. Can I just say, as we're handing these out, um, they come from a website. Yeah, they come from a website called Get Self Help, which is a really, really good website. Um, it's got downloadable and printoutable worksheets and information uh, from a cognitive behavioural perspective, but it's self help, it's really good. Um, and you can you can print them out. Uh, you know the website. Yeah. yeah. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I recommend it to everyone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think I've put uh, I've put the website on the links at the end. So, but as you've got the sheets, it'll tell you at the bottom where it's from. <coughs> Okay, so first of all, ants. What are ants? Well, some people call them gnats, but I quite like ants. Um, automatic negative thoughts. I should ask Ruth to do this because she's, uh, she's trained cognitively, whereas I'm trained psychodynamically. But, <laughs> but I've, had to, I've had to use certain cognitive uh, behavioural approaches. But if I'm saying anything wrong, please jump in. <laughs> so automatic negative thoughts. Thoughts are just thoughts, okay? Thousands pass through our brains, probably every minute, I have no idea. But they aren't statements of objective belief or fact. Most of them pass through our brains at an unconscious level. And they're here to help us interpret the world out there in order to keep us safe. So, however, they are coloured by our previous life experiences, which give us expectations of how things will turn out now and in the future, based on previous experiences. They're affected by our upbringing or our culture. They're affected by our physical health. They're affected by life events. And they're affected by our values and beliefs. And usually it's not a particular event that might cause our emotional and behavioural reaction, but it's the meaning we give to that event. 
Okay, so the meaning we give is coloured by all the above because we look through a filter. I think if you look at your sheet on automatic negative thoughts, and I'm giving these to you so you can look at them in more detail later, <coughs> there's an example of a guy who um, is cut up by someone uh, in, in the traffic or somebody's going fast and overtakes him or something and he's thinking of a selfish toad something like that, I'm trying to remember. Can I have one of the sheets, actually, just to remind me? Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got it here. It's like... <clears throat> so, for example, when another driver cuts me up, I might judge that he's a selfish, thoughtless toad, but in fact, he might be taking his wife to hospital and she's about to give birth. So, don't believe everything you think. Our thoughts are often based on emotion rather than facts. Okay. So the examples here, some of the thoughts might be, I'm in danger and I won't be able to cope with it. If we think that, even on a conscious level, our emotion will be anxiety, fear, and our behaviour will be, we will avoid escape. Actually, you may not be in danger at all. So it's the meaning that we give to an event that's important. Okay. <clears throat> so... Um, I'm going on to talk about life scripts or schemas. You haven't got anything on that here, but these sound in our head like rules. And they often start with, I must, or don't, or do. And we see them as unspoken rules that we've picked up, usually when very young, from our family or our cultural environment. They're not like the rules we learn consciously from our parents, which might be don't hit your brother, do be polite, share, that's fine, that's legitimate. We know these consciously. But these are often below the conscious level. You won't know they're there. But they dictate our feeling, our thinking and our behaviour. They are unconscious decisions that we make, often when we're very young, to keep ourselves safe and to keep and maintain and get love from our caretakers. So for example, um, a life script or an unspoken rule can be, I must always be there for others. I must not show my own needs. You might not know that rule is there, but the way you behave and you act in relationships might show you that it's there. Where does it come from? Let's think. Maybe early needs were not responded to. Maybe your needs weren't responded to, but you got attention when caring for others. You were expected to care for others, and you got strokes for doing that. So that becomes then a schema. And can you see how that could be problematic in terms of your boundaries? I must always be there for others, <coughs> not for yourself. Another one might be don't get close to people or trust them. Caretakers seem unreliable or unsafe. And so the mantra becomes, don't get close to people because they won't want you, they won't be there for you. goes back to experience. But we may not realise that script is there. We may wonder why we're always sabotaging our relationships or we're finding relationships and intimacy difficult. Another one might be, I mustn't show weakness. That can be, as we've said before, weaknesses ridiculed when you were younger. Maybe big boys don't cry, you're the man. So I mustn't show weakness. 
because weakness will cause me humiliation if it's shown. I always have to be strong. It's a defensive thing. Okay, then, we, then we're going on to the internalised judgmental voices that play like a record in our heads that are linked to hurtful and damaging things that have been said to us. It's a negative script. Particularly as children. So we transfer the you are to I am and we become our own persecutor. So if we've been told you're dumb, it becomes I'm stupid, I can't learn anything. So you don't try because you believe that you can't do it. Another one can be no one will ever put up with you and that becomes internalised I'm unlovable. You'll never amount to anything becomes I'll never be any good. So again, won't try. So how do we root these out? Well, first it's identifying them. It's actually listening sometimes to what we're saying to ourselves or in terms of the, um, the life script. It's when there's a problem or we're reacting in a way that isn't working. What's that unspoken rule? What am I saying there? What's going on there? Okay, these, as we've said, are not truths. These internal negative voices are not truths. They're interpretations. So you have to identify a weed in the garden before you pull it out. I know, because I've pulled out plants before, thinking they were weeds. So identify it first. Before you pull it out, you have to notice it. Look at it closely. <clears throat> it isn't easy because a lot of these thoughts and beliefs are below the conscious level. But often we can locate them by tracking back from a bad feeling. Okay? Something happens to you or is said to you and you react strongly, more strongly looking back than it merits. And someone might say to you, Whoa! What went off there? That was OTT. When something like that happens, notice it, pay attention to it. Or it may be that you just feel bad and churned up inside and you don't know why. Sometimes you may need to look back to whatever just happened, either in terms of an event or what was said, to trigger that bad thought that led to a bad feeling. What wrong interpretation did I just put on that event? For example, someone ignored me, thought, I don't matter, I'm just invisible. Was it based on a past experience? Mother used to ignore me to punish me when she was displeased with me. That's an example, by the way. But actually, the person is short-sighted and just didn't see me. Okay, that's, that's often how it works. Notice, notice when the event doesn't correspond to our reaction there's usually something underneath let's look at david the psalmist and let's look at is it psalm which psalm is it psalm 42 don't need to look it up remember david why are you so downcast oh my soul why so disturbed within me and you might, you, might, you might imagine him thinking, oh yes, okay, because I was believing that God had abandoned me. 
due to everything that's going on in his life. That's the thought, belief. And it's based on the harsh experiences of his life at that time. Others around him, as we know in the psalm, taunting, where is your God? So David does three things here, and they're a model for the way that we can treat those thoughts. First of all, he is curious and compassionate about his downcast soul. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? He doesn't shut it down. Toughen up, David. He listens. He asks, why? Okay. And then he brings his raw feelings to God. Once he's recognised them, he brings his raw feelings to God in real honesty. Why have you forgotten me, he says. He doesn't hide his feelings from God. There's no shame here. He knows that God is strong enough to cope with his feelings. He knows, he knows his feelings anyway. God knows them. And then finally, he declares for the future what he knows from the past. He speaks truth to his soul about God's faithfulness. And he ends by saying, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my saviour and my God. Wow, there's a real example there about how to deal with negative thoughts. It's right there in the Bible. We're told in Romans, take every thought captive. There's the justification for it. Take every thought captive. Notice those weeds to make it obedient to Christ. Does what you're saying to yourself, those internal judgmental voices, does it tally? with how you're seen in Christ, what the Bible tells you about yourself. If it doesn't, you throw it in the compost bin. You let it go, to quote Frozen. Let it go. Nurture yourself in the word of God and move on. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Sometimes, particularly with younger people, those negative internal voices, and as we get older too, had to do with comparison. We don't compare. Don't compare yourself with others. You are on your own path. Let us run the race that is before us. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect and pleasing will. Now, later on, we're going to be looking much much more closely about what the bible says about mental health and we'll be looking in much much more detail about how the church responds to mental health what evidence we have for that and how the church should respond to mental health so thank you see you in the session too